Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast Behind Closed Doors series. Today's conversation, holy cow, I literally just ended it with my brother, Matt Carlson. He is sharing his story that I've only heard bits and pieces of. He's my brother-in-law, but I've only heard bits and pieces of his story growing up. And he was raised in a cult. He lived a very normal life. And then his mom and aunt got kind of sucked into this ideology of cult life than spirit life that led to about 12 years of isolation and domination, controlling behavior, spirit conversations, and more that were all extra biblical. So they use the Bible as their foundation for this cult, as most do, and then added to scripture. So his story is one that is emotional. It is heart-wrenching. It's funny and honest about the things that he went through as a child, the restrictions that he had, and what God has done in his heart, the healing process after that. He is the most normal dude ever. I mean, he's funny and crazy and quirky, but he is so loved by everyone. He is brilliant. He is kind, and he has not let this ruin him. So it is a story of pain and hardship and confusion as a child and just some of the most bizarre things and perspectives that make absolutely no sense, but also a story of healing and of allowing God to use that for good and not being a victim of his circumstances. So I hope you have a chance to listen to the whole thing. It's worth it. We talk even at the end about kind of the world right now and how it is getting into a cult mindset with the polarization and inconsistencies and beliefs and politics and how really we are navigating this world without a heart for God and a heart for others. So listen through the whole thing. If you guys enjoy this episode, please take a second to share it. If you haven't rated and reviewed on iTunes yet, it would mean so, so much if you could do that. And if you enjoy this conversation, if you have friends who like to watch Netflix documentaries about this type of stuff, it would mean the world if you would share it with those people. Just sharing it with one person or any episode from the Living Easy podcast is so, so beneficial to this. And I know y'all missed the podcast while you were gone. I received lots of emails. So thank you. So I'm grateful that you appreciate and would be so grateful if you would continue to share. Let's dive in to today's conversation with my brother-in-law, Matt. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. 
I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. Today, I have the honor of being here with my brother-in-law, Matt Carlson. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. I am good. It has been a chaotic morning. We actually closed on one of our properties. We just did a refinance and we have this cereal container I bought for the kids. Did you see it when you guys came over? It held the checks mix and you just twist the knob and it all comes out to the bowls. Well, anyway, he came over and our kitchen was a mess, which gives me anxiety. So I'm like trying to clean everything up. And then I tried to clean the bottom of it. And as he's like trying to explain all the paperwork to I spilled the cereal all over the floor and then biscuits and I was like bright red and he's just looking at me like you (laughs) get your life together because I was like cleaning the table while signing pages and then I spilled it. So anyway, getting on here, I'm literally coming out of the chaos of that. So I'm happy to be here. This is the best part of my day. Yeah, it will be less chaotic. Okay. So to introduce Matt to all of you, Matt is good at everything. And so truly you have helped. Uh, including deception. So, <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> if you believe that, then that's working. No, you have helped fix our marriage. You have made me a coffee table. You have helped fix my computer. You've helped me fix my phone. You can build anything, do anything. You make jewelry. You made me a little bear holding a cupcake made out of wood. What do you call those? Just wood sculptures? Do you remember that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was a little berry. I had it at my... <laughs> I have no idea. Carves wood, literally can do anything. But Matt has a really crazy past, very intriguing past that I've heard bits and pieces of. And you guys have heard from his wife, Tish Carlson, on the podcast on the episode dealing with depression as a Christian, which was a really awesome episode where she was really candid and honest about that. So if you haven't heard it, check it out. But... Matt and Tish are family, but they're also friends to us and we love them very much. We spend a lot of time together, but I know only a little bit about your full story. And so I just really wanted people to hear your story about growing up in a cult. And that's what you would call it, right? You would call it living in a cult. Yeah. I mean, in today's day and age, it seems like I'm not alone. Modern day culture feels like one. Yeah. People are believing some crazy things. So, I mean, it makes me just feel more sane. I would very much agree with that. I think it's becoming very, very polarized. And I think social media is creating that polarization. I mean, people via social media are creating that polarization. So I understand what you're saying through that. But yours, as you grew up, was one that kept you from the real world. So for people, okay, you watch all these Netflix documentaries about cults and people who are locked in the basement or locked in rooms or they're not allowed to do things. Can you talk a little bit about when you first realized, maybe at what age you were in something that wasn't normal and what types of things made you realize life wasn't normal for you? I'll give you like a synopsis, like a really brief one and then expand. Cool. So... I grew up in a home where my dad didn't go to church. Jimmy Swaggart was his church on Sunday. What's Jimmy Swaggart? He was like a televangelist. Okay. Like I caught up in all kinds of creepy stuff. Okay. But that's who he went to for church. So we would go to, as a family, my two older brothers, my mom and I went to church constantly. Youth group, church, events, helping out. Like it was just part of life. It was, yeah. it was awesome. 
My dad was not into it. He just vowed like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to clean the house while you guys go do your thing. And so that's how I grew up until about age 11 is when it started getting weird, really weird. I was a Christian since I can remember. So like how that works out, I have no idea. I mean, when was I actually saved when I could fully understand the gospel? I don't know, but from a young age. And I would say it wasn't that I knew anything. I now believe wholeheartedly that the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us Hmm. and kept me through this next season of what occurred. And so pretty normal family. Mom and dad fought constantly. Mm -hmm. Brothers were train wrecks growing up. And I just knew I didn't want to be like them because they were always in some kind of trouble. And like um, rebellious. I had a, I had a brother who was an alcoholic and and crashed 18 cars in nine years. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, it's complete total of them. Like would deliver pizza and then he would crash into the person's tree in front of their house and bring their pizza to their door. Just, it just wasn't doing good. Yeah. He's been sober 20 years. That's awesome. So it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's doing great. But I would say it was a pretty typical like Stranger Things kind of surroundings, family. Dad worked for Texaco, which was, used to be an oil company. Mm. They kind of got bought out by, I think, Chevron. And mom was very involved in the church and very spiritual, I would say. What's weird is that, is that I don't remember her being very normal because it, quick, it got so crazy for so long that I don't even remember my brothers tell me that mom was great. She was like, normal before she got pulled into the cult life stuff. Yeah. The, okay. And she was like the best mom. Wow. We could never ask for a better mom. And then it turned into, we could never ask for a more crazy mom. Yeah. And so normal Christian family grew up huge house, plenty of money. We were doing fine. Yeah. And my aunt stepped into the picture, moved to Texas And we went from that kind of a life to divorced. We hand-built homes in New Mexico, left the state, took all of our belongings, bought this big compound and turned it into an RV park for the chosen people of God. And the 144,000 were going to come and live on our property. I was like, okay. In an RV park. That's what... We built an RV park as children. Yeah, so... Well, that's why you're good at building stuff. (laughs) Yeah. That explains it. I've insight from it because that's all I did growing (laughs) up. Yeah. And so, I mean, and it went from... So that that normal kind of a lifestyle where I'd go catch turtles and at the golf course and run from like the golf course personnel and we'd swim with them in my pool, like tons of them, like 30 at a time. We'd have turtles everywhere. And then I'd go take them back to the Creek and let them go. And then next week we do the same thing. Like yeah. it, was, it was, we go to, I go to magic mountain in summer every day, ride my bike, get a ride. We lived in California. And, oh, okay. I mean, life was fantastic. This is before. This is before. Right. And then it Childhood. went to, yeah. Then it went from that kind of a lifestyle to, we would see a license plate on a car. My aunt, my uncle, my mom, they would see a license plate with a certain set of numbers and a certain arrangement or from a certain state. And then they would all like become paralyzed and go, okay, kids. And they would point at another vehicle and say, that's us. That's us driving. Look at that. That's Pat and Sherry. They're driving. Who's Pat and Sherry? My aunt and uncle. So they'd be in the car driving and they would would say, look at the other car. We're in that car. Yes. Like our spirit? I don't even understand. Because you're a kid. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to convince the spirits that were listening oh. that they were going in the opposite direction. 
the demonic spirits. I guess. I mean, Maybe. yeah, probably there was like okay. religious spirits, familiar spirits. And then there was individual spirits from different people that they've known that they would say, they would never say their name. They'd say they'd give initials. This is spirit of DC. It's a spirit of GB. It's just like, oh gosh, here we go again. And you're how old at this time? Like 12, 13. Okay. To 24. Like it got weird. I'm just trying to give like a a breakdown from the polar opposite kind of lifestyle. To like, we would then see that they would try to get all the kids to yell that they see themselves in another vehicle driving the opposite direction. And then we would quietly go back home. They would say, Hey, I think it'd be smart if you got some bags packed. Don't ask any questions. Wow. It's like, Oh, here we go. And you just basically get your belongings for who knows what's going to happen next. And I get it all like put in a suitcase, duffel bags, whatever. And every day, just wait for the moment. And, and your sudden, mom is with you. Your mom and dad my, are with you? My, my mom and me lived in one house. We built log homes in Rudoso. And then my aunt, uncle, and their six kids lived in a house that we a log home. It was built, I mean, a couple hundred feet away. Oh, okay. And we would randomly get woken up at four o'clock in the morning and leave the country, get in an RV and just drive. We wow. couldn't mention the names of signs we saw. We couldn't talk about what was happening. Because the because spirits, spirits were listening. Would, okay. Yeah, they're all listening. Yeah, <laughs> okay. really. Yeah, have big ears, I guess. <laughs> it was like that all the time. Couldn't do anything really restrictive. Always some kind of a spirit around trying to attack our spirit or something. It really made no sense. It made no sense. And so that was like the difference in my life. How we got there is just as weird of a story. And I find out more about it as time has gone on. Yeah. But it started when we were living in Texas. My mom has always had this like affinity for her younger sister to a degree where like somehow she thought of her as like a prophetess. Like she was Mm. the chosen one closest to God. They were very into like the 12 tribes of Israel. So my aunt was the tribe of Joseph. Mm. And then my mom was a tribe of Reuben. Mm because that was the only brother who didn't want to kill Joseph. And the rest of us were all the other tribes because we sucked. (laughs) So I was a tribe of Zebulun because I liked fishing, I guess. Yeah. I liked water, I liked fishing. So like, this is your tribe. I was like, okay. When you're really young, I mean, this is like when I was 12 years old, it didn't mean a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's my crazy aunt and all of our kids. You perceived her that way though. Like you knew something was off. She scared me. Okay. She's got something weird. It's very, just a very commanding, controlling, manipulative as all get out. But then Mm -hmm. once you start seeing the manipulation and it's the same pattern over and over and over again, it becomes pretty comical. Yeah. So my aunt moved to Texas to help my mom. So turns out my mom bought her a house, bought her an extra piece of land, bought her a car. Wow. And so that way, nothing would be in my aunt's name. And there's a reason for that, as I found out way, like I found out, I mean, 20 years after that all happened. And so when she bought a bread maker, she'd buy two. When she bought a VCR, she'd buy, she'd buy two. So my dad would never find out that she was spending half of our income on my aunt Wow. and her family. And then my dad finally found out like that his life savings was given away to my aunts in her house and all this stuff. And <sighs> obviously got angry. Mm-hmm. My mom and my dad fought. My brothers don't remember them fighting. So this didn't happen until my aunt moved to town. Yeah, It got scary daily. 
I would just sit outside and cry and wait for them to stop arguing. One day I got a tape recorder. I thought there was no way that they could actually understand what they sounded like. Mm. They, if they hurt themselves, fighting, maybe they would realize that they need to chill. Yeah. And so I took a little, my dad worked for Texaco. So he had all these like little personal recorders, those little tiny little tapes hit record. And I snuck it in between the cushions of the couch and they were screaming at each other and fighting. And I went and sat outside. I was actually had a rabbit at the time. I vividly remember cleaning the rabbit's cage and crying. And then it got really scary inside the house. And I went mm-hmm. inside and my dad thought that my mom was recording him to use in court or something. Oh. And I was like, and I just, I just ran in. I'm like, no, it was me. Like mom had no idea I was doing this. I didn't want either of you to know. I yeah. just wanted you to hear yourselves because it's scary. Yeah. So that all happened in Houston, Texas. My mom convinced my dad over time that he needed to leave Texaco and move to, it was Montgomery. So it was like 30 miles away, about a 10th of a mile from my aunt's house mm. <laughs> is where she wanted us to move. Somehow he went along with it. We bought a small house so we could build another log cabin next to it, built this freaking rad log cabin in the woods. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. I mean, I loved the, the forest and stuff. So like the, that move really, I mean, I liked it. Yeah. And my dad would work in Houston and he would drive to Montgomery every weekend to see us while we were building this house. And my mom was trying to convince him to leave Texaco. And in time, well, there was this one day that I would, they were fighting something fierce in this little cabin we had. And I was laying down in front of the TV and Waco was happening. I recently watched that documentary. Oh, it was great. That was was a phenomenal documentary. It wasn't really a documentary. It was a show, but based on a biopic. Yeah. Yeah. It was accurate depictions of what, what occurred. Yeah. And I'm watching this happen and they keep talking about cults and what this group believed And it was like, quote unquote, Jesus, but it was a dude, David Koresh, that was Jesus or like the second coming out or whatever he was, the chosen one. And they all believed him to the point of leaving their lives behind and going to this compound. And I'm sitting there going like, man, this is, I turned around and I was like, mom, you're in a cult. Mm. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like this on TV, like what's happening? I mean, that thing went on, it seemed like for a week, but there was one night where it got really heinous when it was burning to the ground. So you're watching um, on the news as the whole process is where they're trying to barricade in and all of that stuff. Yeah, like the live on TV wow! of the cult compound burning and behind me, my parents fighting about joining the cult. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you not? And my mom, my mom bought my dad a book by Walter Martin called The Kingdom of the Cults, which is by far like the encyclopedia of cults. Yeah. And she gave it to him thinking somehow that it would help him see that they're not in the cult. And he went home to his apartment in Houston, read it thick. I mean, the thing's like three inches thick, came back and was like, this is the dumbest gift you could have ever given me. You are in a cult. This is a cult. Okay, so he's realizing it. So the reason you're seeing this is because you're in kind of like a commune lifestyle. You're living commune lifestyle, very focused like heavily on spirits and spirit life. And Mm -hmm. what other things were determining factors for you when you realize that? It's hard to describe the control. Mm. I mean, at the beginning, it wasn't as bad and it got progressively worse as time went on. Like I had to go to 
a Christian counselor. So my mom and dad were going to get a divorce. My mom decided that. I found out later why she decided to get a divorce. And it's because she said that my dad committed adultery. Hmm. And because of that, that's the only sin you can commit that frees the spouse from being married. And the person whom he committed adultery with is named Texaco. Oh. Because he was a workaholic. Right. So she justified or tried to back that with scripture that he worked too much. Yeah, my aunt convinced my mom that this was a right use, a right interpretation of the gospel. Yeah. And so she was free to do that without sinning. I didn't know this until like 15, 20 years later. Wow. So you guys thought he had committed adultery or that wasn't communicated to you? I've never heard it. Oh, no, okay. I have no idea. Okay. There's no way she would have brought that up or else I would have went straight to court. Yeah. And then she said that he hit her and she had a bruise on her arm. But that bruise on her arm was because we had a two by four. We we're building the house. We had a two by four underneath the power line to push it up so big lumber trucks could come through. Mm. Well, it fell over and it hit her in the arm and gave her a bruise. And then she then told the lawyer that that was because he hit her. My dad wasn't a hitter. I don't know who he was really. He just just worked all the time, but he wasn't that. In her mind, like she was just being convinced by my aunt of all these things. And my cousins had no liberties to do anything. We used to be able to go fishing and every day we'd have less freedom always. So you always think of as you get older, you have more liberty. Mm -hmm. No, it's definitely less. And I couldn't go fishing because the spirits couldn't go outside because of spirits. We could basically just do work. So we just worked every single day. We were homeschooled. So when I say secluded, I'm saying, don't talk to neighbors. You're schooled in your own house, which I was grateful I didn't go to school in my aunt's house. Ooh. Yeah. So my mom is the one who taught me, if you will, almost like VHS tapes, you'd watch them. So well, and you, because people who don't know you, who are listening to this, you are brilliant. So you've done well with yourself, <laughs> for yourself. But okay, so, but I want to talk about that because I think a part of what I've seen in you, and I think you've expressed this before, is your curiosity, which is why you know so much is because you are, you're curious, but then you look it up or you research it or you read about it or you find a solution. You find an answer if you have a question. You don't allow a question to sit in your mind. Did part of that stem from when you were in your house or whatever? Because I remember you saying, I'm totally going on a tangent, but you said something along the lines of you would listen into the radio And that was kind of how you were informed of the outside world. And you were just so curious about what went on. Is that what like initially piqued your curiosity? Yeah. I think being lied to every day makes you not believe anything you see. Yeah. You have to make sure it's true. Mm -hmm. So not thinking of everyone as, as a liar, but assuming that most of what you hear and potentially see isn't what it seems. Mm -hmm. And so you should investigate. You should find out for yourself we should think critically about the world around us or else we're not being good stewards of our own lives. We're just being told what to do. Mm -hmm. Being told what to do is not something I'm fond of. And so my aunt being the one who controls everything, it got to a point where every morning we would get up, go to my aunt's house, which is a couple hundred feet away because we moved then to Redoso, built a bunch of log cabins, built this RV park. At this point, I'm like 14 years old. Okay. 13, 14 years old. And my mom divorced my dad, took his pension and all of his savings and bought this seven acre property in Redoso. Mm. 
And again, as a kid, I'm like, there's a lot of land. We can do everything we want. It's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. But it just progressively got worse. So whenever you thought like something could go right, it didn't. It got to a point where my name couldn't be mentioned. It couldn't be looked at. It couldn't be talked about. So I could do nothing with anybody. I homeschooled myself. And then I was forced to read different books that I didn't think were good. They just didn't seem right. Like mm -hmm. one of them was by Jane Lead and the seven seven heavens or something mm. hand-drawn crap on, you know, basically somebody just printed it out, two-sided paper, folded it, stapled it into a book. And then we were supposed to read this as some sort of like doctrine. Almost. So the Bible is thrown out at this time or the Bible it's is not, being added to? Okay. It's added to. Okay. Yeah. So it's all extra biblical. Right. It's never like a removal of the gospel. So I vividly remember being told I had to read this book. I know that I can picture the cover. I can even probably can find it and send it to you. But I'm like this 14 year old girl in like the 1700s got a revelation from an angel and we need to basically read all of her stuff and follow her, her teachings. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. They also believe that CDs were from <laughs> Satan developed them and demons are the ones who control any sort of technology over the phone line. So Nowadays, internet back then it was BBS, mm -hmm. which is why you're now getting caught up on 90s movies because you weren't allowed to watch any. <laughs> Matt has not seen like any of the good 90s movies <laughs> and refuses I, to watch Titanic still. Yeah, I, I know how it ends. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it sinks. And so, uh, we did, we watched lots of movies, but they were, we would record them on TV. You could fit three on a tape. Mm -hmm. And we had them all over our house. When I say all of our house, we built a log cabin, but we weren't allowed to build walls inside the cabin. So we had all the studs, all the framing was up in my house. My aunt's house was done. But our house, we couldn't have windows for the longest time. So we had double layers of plastic that we stapled up. I mean, think of a brand new house that looks like it's condemned because we had plastic up on the windows. And then we were finally allowed to put windows in but then we couldn't put walls in like sheetrock mm -hmm. because of the spirits. Okay. But your aunt was able to, but she was the one kind of dictating yes. that this couldn't happen in your home. Yes. She decided everything in life. Yeah. Everything from what you eat, what you drink, everything is completely controlled by her. Like we couldn't leave the property. We couldn't talk to neighbors. We couldn't go do anything. Hmm. I mean, one of my cousins, you know, was 24 years old and she... Just say it, sat at home. We went to the store. Everyone went to the store. So your entire like, teenage socialization was you, your brothers, and your cousins, and no outside. No, my, my brothers, I wasn't allowed to talk to. So I hadn't seen them since I was 12. Because they left the cult. They did. Okay. They didn't join it. They're like, this is crazy. Okay. Y'all are nuts. Yeah. And so we're out. And they were older. Like they were six and eight years older than me. Yeah. So they never got it. They never became a part of it. But I found out later, like they've been trying to call me and reach out to me and get a hold of me for years. And I didn't know that. I just yeah. thought they're gone. I don't have brothers anymore. So for a decade, they tried finding me. And then they finally were like, he's gone. Like, we'll never see him again. So like that was like the atmosphere and it was a lot about like numerology and certain sets of characters and numbers. And if they saw something that was $17, so that was a really good deal. And I must buy because it's 17 and the number 23 is against witchcraft and number 30. It's like, oh my goodness. They're very, very heavily into like numbers mm -hmm. for some reason. 
But in time, it became one in which we would every morning go to my aunt's house and we'd open the Bible. And it was like, what is the word from the Lord for us today? Mm. And we'd sit in a circle and each kid would read their scripture. And like then, Russian yeah. roulette with the Bible, like you just pick one out or you had something set. I'd say Russian roulette yeah. <laughs> okay. for sure. Which is dangerous because um, then you get on like... Judas hanged himself. And it's like, that's what the Lord has for you today. <laughs> that's concerning. Exactly. And I'm like, Jesus wept. Yeah. So it definitely was Russian roulette, but then it became, for me in particular, became a, I'm going to pick out Psalms 117 every single morning because mm. she can't figure out a way to distort it. Yeah. And everybody would start doing that. And I knew when somebody chose Psalms 1, that was going to be a bad day for me because it was beware of, of being in the presence of like evil counselors. I'm like, mm. that's who I became. What does that mean though? Like that it's going to be a bad day for you. Why would that affect your day? All my cousins, I mean, they're the only people I had to hang out with. I mean, we had a blast. Mm -hmm. Like we would make homemade crossbows and that were like 200 pound draw and shoot them through four bales of hay. And Mm -hmm. we would go pine needle skiing and we would build sleds out of all tons of skis. Like we had so much crap there. Yeah. You build anything you wanted and we did it. And so that was my only form of entertainment. I mean, I would hand make wooden cars out of tons of layers of wood and sandwich them together and paint them to look like a model. Mm-hmm. Very just weird. I mean, it's childhood though. That's like the was, stuff that I want my kids doing. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like the stuff I try to get my kids to yeah, do. I mean, yeah. I'm like, here's a scroll saw. Here's how you use it. <laughs> yeah. Let's map me anyways. So I had a lot of fun, but as long as my aunt wasn't around. Mm. And then it got really weird. And we had call signs for him. I'm not really proud of it, but my mom was one horn. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you saw them coming? Yeah. So because I wasn't allowed to be talked to, my cousins wouldn't talk to me and they had to stay at their house and I wasn't allowed to go over there. Hmm. And so I would stand on the corner of my house and then my cousin, Josh in particular, actually only really, he would stay at the corner of his house and we would use sign language, but it was homemade just trying to be able to communicate like what's going on today. Like, what are you doing? Then it would be my mom. So my mom was one horn on the side. His dad was one horn in the middle. And then his mom was two horns because she was (laughs) the worst of the worst. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, cool. So your mom said you can't play today. Cool. So I just knew like it's a bad day. So I go like hide behind a bunch of tools and my cousin would go look for tools so it was like a big stand, like an upright shelving. And I go behind there. Sherry, if you're watching this, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would stand behind there and I'd just be really quiet. And he would look for tools and we would just talk for hours. And then when somebody came down, I would crunch down behind the toolbox and then he would find his tool. Oh, so you had to be secretive to have friends. But on a good day, she would let them say your name or you guys could not communicate while you played. It was probably a good five, six years. I wasn't like abolished. It just, it got progressively worse. Okay. For example, one of my cousins. So the oldest cousin ran away in the middle of the night. Second oldest cousin ran away in the middle of the night. I was supposed to go with him. Our plan was, is that we were going to escape. Mm-hmm. And the day I turned 18, we were going to escape and we we're going to join the air force and get degrees in computer science. And then after four years, leave and start a computer store. That was the whole plan. And so he had turned 18. He was a, he was a year older than me, maybe a year and some change. We had planned everything out. Like we're going to leave. 
we're going to take a bus to Alamogordo and then sign up for the Air Force. That was like the closest armed forces center. I was 17 at the time and I was like getting scared. I'm like, man, what do we do? What if it doesn't work out? What, like we will have nobody. Yeah. I don't understand how it's going to work. And plus I have to wait another year for this to happen. Well, one day we had intercoms between all the buildings. So you press a button and it would like, you could press one, two. So we would talk between the houses. Yeah. Constant communication was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wake up to, at this time, my name had changed. Yeah. Cause my name when I was born was William Walter Carlson. Mm-hmm. And I was forced to change it at like 15, 16 years old to Matt Hodiah. Oh. So my name was never Matt. Interesting. It's all fake. Yeah. So I had to legally change it in the courts to Matt Hodiah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So this time they called down the intercom and they just said, Matt, you need to get up here right now. And I was like, oh, crap. And I was like, you know, why? Well, Brian left Mm. and he left a note. And he said, you were going to go with him. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> I'm like, you just threw me, you screwed me over. And so I walked up to their house and in the middle of the night, he took their keys to their wagoneer, drove to town, took the only belonging he had, which was a pair of binoculars, sold them at a pawn shop for 10 bucks, bought a ticket, left the keys, told them where the car was going to be sitting and then went to Alamogordo and joined the Air Force. He didn't know is that, well, we didn't know, is that you don't just join the Air Force. This isn't like a John Wayne movie. Mm-hmm. You don't join the Air Force and then just get sent off somewhere. Yeah. You just sign some paperwork and they send you home. Yeah. He had to come <laughs> home for weeks. Because he had I mean, no money. I like, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I would live in a stinking van, but he didn't even have a car or anything. So in Alamogordo, there were no jobs to be had. People from Alamogordo actually would come to Rodoso to work because they could, they'd mm. have a higher wage and then drive back to Alamogordo. Heck of a drive, but that's what they do. And the cops had a few vouchers for free meals, but they didn't have any vouchers for free hotels. Mm. He could have potentially, because they were trying to figure out how can we not send you home? Yeah. And there was no way because I mean, none of us had ever had jobs before we worked constantly, but we worked for free. And so he got sent back home and I mean, he had the worst life ever. I mean, for weeks he would be screamed at and like prayed over and whatever for, I mean, all night long for weeks. Wow. I could not imagine how difficult it was. Were you able to communicate with him at that time? Kind of. Yeah. Really? I mean, plus because I was like his accomplice and we had planned this thing out, it didn't go over well. And he did finally join the Air Force and the recruiter came out and wanted to meet the whole family to figure out like what the crap is this place. Okay. So he had informed them of it, which is why they wanted to keep him. And then they came out because they're trying to like determine if this is concerning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. We had a family that was like old friends of my aunt's come visit us and to think about maybe leaving Iowa and joining the cult. Hmm. And I begged, I begged them not to do it. I was like, you have no idea what you're seeing. What you think you see is not good. It is horrific. They're going to control your life and destroy your family. I guarantee you. And it was a mom and dad and two adopted kids one adopted for sure and his name was Co. and they thought that this kid had a spirit mm-hmm. that's why he was so ornery or whatever and i'm like he's just ornery he's a boy mm-hmm. 
I remember walking down the stairs and hearing just sheer terror screams and they were taking olive oil and pouring it all over his body and just screaming at him to get the spirits out of him. And I'm looking, there's like towels on the ground and oil everywhere. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And then my mom or my aunt told us to go back to our room, to my cousin's room and play castle Wolfenstein. Was that a game? It's yeah. It's a shooter where you kill Nazis. Oh, yeah, and that sounds like a reasonable sometimes, request. Sometimes our job was to go play Castle Wolfenstein to kill the spirit of Nazism. Oh. Imagine believing and experiencing the truth that marriage is a gift from God to be embraced, not a burden to endure. Most marriage problems, you guys, are not marriage problems. They are God problems and they are heart problems. Nobody walks down the aisle to say I do with a plan to have a mediocre, difficult marriage that ends in divorce. Divorce is painful and messy and hard. And God didn't call you to be a wife who fixes and fixes and exhausts herself with the efforts to make her husband better. Instead, he called you to be a love him wife. Did you know that 50% of marriages end in divorce? And in 2020, the top reported reasons for divorce were a lack of communication and an inability to resolve conflict. Ladies, have you equipped yourself properly? Would you wait until your entire house had burnt down before seeking help? It is more likely that if your house were on fire, as soon as you saw the spark of that first flame, you would be doing everything you could to fight it, to fix it, and to learn from it. It should be the same for your marriage. It's time to make a change. I am here to speak with you all about the Wife Project. Our society views marriage as disposable, but God's word calls us to so much more than that. The purpose of the Wife Project, which has already been purchased by hundreds and hundreds of women, is to challenge you to grow so deeply in your relationship with Jesus that it has no choice but to flow over into your marriage. I have received countless testimonials that God is using this course to actively change and transform very real marriages from the core. I am offering eight video sessions that will address your root issues with biblical wisdom that will help to lead you to live the life with your husband that you always hoped for as soulmates rather than sharing life as roommates. The best part of this is that you will have lifetime access to the entire course. So if you can't listen to it or watch it right now, it will still be available to you in 5, 10, or 15 years. And all of the videos and the Wife Project Journal will be easily accessible for you. The journal will include marriage challenges, scripture memory verses, and journal questions to begin working through the deep struggles of your marriage immediately. Enrollment for the Wife Project opens up again on June 7th. I could not be more excited and I cannot wait to see what Jesus does in your faith and in your marriage through this course. Just visit my website, sparrowsandlily.com or click the link in the show notes below or the link in my bio on Instagram at livingeasywithlindsay for more information and to sign up for the wait list. As you're walking in on this, though, <laughs> as a kid, okay, because I'm envisioning like, and I want to talk about this a little bit, but we had friends actually leave here, friends, close friends, and join a cult. And it has been, as an adult, the most bizarre thing to watch someone switch, like you were talking about, from a life of complete and utter normalcy to one of 
just confusion. But as a kid, I can't even, I know confusion is an understatement, but as a kid, you go into this and you're seeing them, what, pray? Is it like a ceremony? Like they're praying over him they're, or they're just literally pouring. I'm just trying to envision. <laughs> Imagine waterboarding a kid with olive oil. Oh my gosh. Just screams and weird. Like I mean, tongues? Is tongues them. a thing? Was that a thing? No. No. That was really nothing normal. It was nothing fun. Yeah. No cool thing. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> got you'd more want. cool as time went on. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a souvenir. Where they they made a little hockey puck. Like they basically poured fiberglass resin into a Dixie cup with a piece of copper wire wrapped around a quartz rock and a penny on the bottom and iron filings in it. Once the fiberglass resin cured, they pop it off and place them around the property or in their pocket or their purses to block the government's radio waves from intercepting their prayers to God. I was like, wow. this happened. <laughs> Real creative. I left the Colts. And I told my cousin, I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, there's big ones that are like five gallon bucket size. And there's small ones you carry in person. They have magnets on them. They put them on the car on the outside of it. I was like, you have got to give me that. I want it as a souvenir. <laughs> okay, so let's, I want to talk about that. Yeah, like how normal you are because you are quirky, you are fun, you get along with everyone, you are wildly intelligent, you're successful. Like what was the process? Like I guess maybe can you share how you left what your mind had to go through, what your relationship with Jesus looked like? I know it's a lot of questions, but what was the healing process to a life of normalcy? Because that would scar and traumatize, I mean, most people. So I didn't leave until I was 24 years old. Because that's so, what you knew. That was your life. It was, yeah. And, and I, I mean, because I always just fought with my aunt daily. And whenever I did the scripture things, it was always about like, I would just take it back to the strongest concordance. It's like she would have some weird misinterpretation of, of a familiar spirit. Like if I made the sound that I used to make with my brothers, we had plenty of them. If I made a sound that sounded similar to that, the spirit of TNT, it was Troy and Todd. They were called TNT because they're explosive and they would never say their names and scrap. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you have a familiar spirit. And so I was like, you know what? They keep saying this and I'm sick of it. And so I just go to the strongest concordance, find where where Solomon had consulted a medium or something. Hmm. And that person had a familiar spirit. So I just look up the word. It's very simple. I mean, it doesn't take much. Now it's the internet. You can yeah. set. But you just look up the strong Concordance number, open it up. It gives you the grammatical historical context of what that meant. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, excuse me, you're wrong. I was not nice about it. Yeah. And it didn't go well. So like I knew over the course of time, like, I believed that the things that I believed were true, but to not have anyone as a sounding board Mm -hmm. to really ensure that's why community is so important because we could just go crazy and we would never know it Yeah, or we could be right and never know it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was scared of like, what if I am wrong? What am I wrong in? Basically for them, the threat was if you leave, you go to hell. Yeah. Period. You will burn in hell for eternity if you leave. And so I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Nowhere in the Bible is that ever going to be something mentioned. This whole environment is not heaven. Mm-hmm. First off, it actually is hell. Yeah. They so, thought it was heaven? Oh, they, they it's called, <laughs> the property, the campground was called Joseph Land. Oh. It was the land of Joseph. Okay. We had a big old sign out. Because front. she was the tribe of Joseph, right? Your aunt? Yes. Okay. And so, so naturally, yeah, she's got, and the property (laughs) was in like Jesus's name under a trust and just weird stuff. 
there came a point, I was probably around 24, where my, I was pretty autonomous. Like I, I wasn't allowed to leave, but I just ride my bike for like 40, 50 miles a day. I just, hmm. I stopped because I, I did chainsaw art. I can make a killing at it. And I was like, I, I'm done. This is dumb. I'm literally making all this money and just giving it away so they can go buy rocks for the kingdom. You gave it to they, them. You gave all of your income back to the family. 100%. Wow. 100% of it. And they would buy jewelry. They buy like, like amethyst and garnet beads and make all this jewelry because those are the things that are mentioned in Revelation, which means because the streets will be paved to Jasper and all yeah. this stuff. I don't even know what all that means. I don't care. But I can tell you what they thought it meant. And yeah. it was that we need to start gathering all these things now. So when we get into the kingdom, I'm like, oh. False <laughs> we're going to carry them with us? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know. This is so dumb. But we, they were, we were doing some sort of intercessory work to bring forth the kingdom by buying thousands and tens of thousands of dollars worth of all this stuff that's still sitting there rotting in a bunch of shops mm-hmm. at that campground. So like, it was like a threat of going to hell, losing your community, my dad passed away when I was 17. My mom got a phone call from, I think my grandpa that my dad died and I hadn't seen him since I was 12. So she got the phone call and they all threw a party Mm -hmm. because he finally died. I'm like, this is such a messed up place. And so I really knew like, if I leave, I have nobody. I haven't seen my brothers since I was 11 or 12. Dad's passed away. If I do leave, what do I do? I don't talk to anybody. I have no skills to to communicate. But what I did do is I rode my bike everywhere. I knew everything was at. There was like a a softball tournaments just down the street from our house in Rodoso. And I would just park my bike against a tree and just listen to families talking. What do they talk about? What does a normal family do? Hmm. And just longed for this just normal life again. Yeah. I had a shortwave radio, which I don't know why they let me get it, but I had a shortwave radio and I had some really old college textbooks and like engineered different lengths of antenna wire so I could see how far I could listen to people around the globe. Think of shortwave radio as Twitter, yeah. but audio. Okay. It is awesome. <laughs> okay. and I, printed, I mean, I was very nerdy. So I printed up like an Excel spreadsheet and I had a log book. I mean, I would go to bed like at four or five in the morning between when my mom went to bed, whenever that was, I would just listen to shortwave radio, mm-hmm. put down their call sign, put down what the station was, and then what do they talk about? And that was my, my logbook to see what was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was awesome. It was really, it made me feel okay. Yeah. Like the world hasn't gone nuts, just this place has. And so I knew I wanted to leave. I just didn't know what I would do. Yeah. So my aunt, uncle, and all their kids went to Arizona to spend 40 days in the wilderness, eating nothing and drinking nothing besides cactus and water. To be like Jesus. Yeah. Yep. And so I didn't know this because they left and it was just my mom and I. And it was awesome. Without my aunt around, my mom's way more cordial, sociable. Didn't, well, she didn't, didn't have to fit to a mold. She didn't have and a so, dictator breathing yeah. down her neck and telling her how to live her life. I'm sure she felt a huge sense of freedom during that time too, even though she maybe didn't know it. I don't understand how this works, but yeah. she just wanted to go find her so bad, so bad. And so- So your mom didn't know how to be a, her own person. No, okay, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, we had a little pop-up camper and a minivan 
And she said, Hey, I think it'd be fun. We should go camping. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm 23, 24 years old. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm like, I know what you want to do. You want to go find your sister out in the desert somewhere. And I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. She tried talking to me. I'm like, don't think you understand. This is never happening. Yeah. And so she's like, fine, then I'm going to go. I'm like, by all means, like I'll get you set up, like whatever, water the camper and all that stuff. And she left. And that day she left was the first day that I had not had somebody telling me what to do since I was 12 years, right? At least. Yeah. And I remember going to a, I drove, I had. Because you were allowed to drive. I did get an ID like at 19. Okay. Okay. Basically to take trash. Couldn't do anything else besides that. And we had snow plow and stuff. And I remember going to a movie rental place. Like a local, like a local, like they turned like a kind of like <laughs> yeah. a, yeah, yeah, like a cheap blockbuster. Yeah. It was like a person's house. It was in Rodoso. So it was like a little right. kitschy place. And I was walking around trying to find something. And I was like, man, I'm going to rent a movie. This will be crazy. I have an ID. I'm sure I could rent a movie. And I mean, I was not the person I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I was just paralyzed with fear. Yeah. And I remember people telling me, man, when we first met you, you just profusely sweated and looked so scared. I'm like, man, I, do remember it, but I don't want to remember it. Yeah. I went to this rental place and rented Black Hawk Down and watched it at home with the audio on full blast. And what I did you like, feel? Because I mean, you've not watched anything other than, I mean, you were doing well, Nazi shooting watched, games, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we watched, we had tons of movies. Oh, okay. Westerns, lots of old, like old war movies. Yeah. I, I just stopped watching them. I was like, okay. I'm good. I'm yeah. dumb. So I rented Blackhawk Black Hawk Down and had it a full blast and was just so pumped. I don't even know what I was eating, but I was pumped. And the next morning, my mom shows back up at home. I was like, what in the world? I thought you were going to go find your sister. I didn't ever said that. I'm like, okay. And then begged me and begged me and begged me to go with her. She got scared. Mm-hmm. It may not even been the next day. It may have been the same day. I'm not sure. Yeah. I was like, fine. I'll tell you what. I'll drive with you. We'll go find your sister. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Whatever you say you think you're doing, we'll go do that. And then I'm going to come home and I'm never doing that again. Hmm. And she's like, okay, just go with me. And so we got back in the minivan, drove to Arizona and she's looking out the window. She's expecting her to just be there. I'm like, what you looking for? Nothing. Why was she afraid to admit it? The spirits. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. The spirits heard. They can't know and, where you're going. Yeah. Right. Okay. Somehow they they don't watch anybody. They only hear them or something. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. I do not understand how it works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just got frustrated with it. They right. always say the spirits this. I'm like, what spirits? I'm like, well, you want me to name them for you? I'm like, yes, I do. And then they would start naming them. I'm like, one, two. Like, just a jerk. Yeah. I well, I mean, that. because nothing is lining up in what you're being taught you're obviously having an awareness of like, okay, there's just continual manipulation, continual yeah. lying. I'm able to line these things up with scripture and see that it's not, it's I weird. mean, it's right. not relevant. It make any yeah. sense. I mean, there's a book that just came out, a book of the rhythm of prayers. Mm-hmm. And it says in there, dear Heavenly Father, please help me to hate white people. What? That's a current book out there. That's currently published and it's being lauded as like the ultimate book of prayer. I'm like, I don't think God's really here to help you hate people. I'm pretty sure of that. Wow. And like, it's just as silly as that sounds. That is how everything sounded. Yeah. Back in those times. So we're driving, driving to Arizona. 
she's looking out the window, constantly denying that she's looking for my aunt. And so we drive through, I think Globe, Arizona, and we're driving through and we get to some town and I see her look up at an RV park and like, she's I'm like, you want me to turn around and you want me to go back there? I'll turn around. She's like, no, fine. I'm like, you want me to turn around and see if Sherry's at that RV park? She's like, no, I don't. I don't want that. Just keep going. I'm like, okay. So we drive like 60 miles into the next city in the desert, wherever I was at. Fill up on gas. And I get back in the car and mom's like, we have to turn around. I was like, just say it, say it. I'm looking for Sherry. Finally, we got in the car, we were driving back to their town. And I was asking her, I really wanted her just to say it. But the moment she finally said, I'm looking for her. I pulled the car over the side of the road, got out and walked into the desert. I was like, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was just done. Mm-hmm. I was walking towards nowhere. And my mom came running after me. Uh, finally, I saw, that's where I said, I'll take you there. She's, you're never going to find her. It makes no sense. But just so you know, I'm done. This is crazy. Just think about it. You've been lying to me for two days straight. You wouldn't just admit the thing that we were currently participating in. Mm-hmm. This is nuts. And so we drove to that RV park. She wasn't there. We drove all the way back to New Mexico. I'm like, see? And... We went to a garage sale. So this is where, this is like the... Um, really quick. When you look back, do you see, like just knowing what you know now, any very obvious signs of mental health stuff with your mom? Or do you feel like it was more just this need, like codependency? I saw a codependency. Okay. I don't know. My aunt, serious, yes. serious issues. Yeah. She's been arrested recently. Oh, and I, and I, yeah, like going crazy. Yeah. In Rodoso, like this is fantastic. Have you ever gone back to see her as an adult? Yeah. So we went to a garage sale. It was like an, some old like metal building. Calvary chapels are notorious for building their churches in like warehouse districts, mm. cheap, big buildings. Mm-hmm. So the Calvary chapel there had just moved into a cheap, big building. And they were taking all the junk that was in that building and putting it out for a garage sale so they could start cleaning the building up to turn it into a sanctuary and such. And the strangest thing, I can vividly see it, but we parked the car, went to the garage sale. Some guy was getting some like old like bun coffee makers, like setting them out and all this junk. It was all junk. I was like, I don't want anything here. But something about that guy, his name was John Marshall. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was just that person loves you hmm. and you can leave. This is after the desert. This is when you're home. Yes. Okay. We just, we gotten back home. I'm not sure the, the time distance right. between the two events, but I'm sure it was pretty close because I was done. Yeah. And so the next, I don't know if I asked them, I, don't, I doubt I asked them. I don't think I talked to anybody. I was so scared. I told my mom that night, I'm going to church tomorrow. She's like, fine, then I'll go with you. I'm like you do you, but I'm going to church tomorrow. And that day was the first day they were having church in that building. It was the first day of college group. Then they were doing baptisms at the public pool. All happened on that, that next Sunday. So garage sale Saturday. So I went to church for the first time in forever. Because the last time I went to church, I was forced to go to church because of the Christian counselor. And then I went once and my mom said, I can't go back again because a girl there, liked the pastor's daughter, liked me. And so that's evil. So you can't go back to there again. Like, okay, cool. So obviously never had a girlfriend until... No. Yeah. No. 
And so I went to church, went to baptisms, went to college group, petrified. Like, I don't think I'd spoke a word. I don't even know what to say. Mm -hmm. Nothing I had to say would be relevant because it was, I lived in a hole for forever. And I knew like, this is it. I mean, when I say a gospel centered family, like the Marshall family is that family. Mm -hmm. They don't live for themselves. Mm -hmm. They live for the good of others and the glory of God. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They have totally changed your life, huh? Yeah. I've only ever heard you speak like that of them and how they've impacted you, even in your children's lives as well. And uh, I went to church. Then on that Wednesday, went to church. I mean, I got connected with a group that built houses in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Nolan and Marie, shocky, freaking the raddest people alive. And Nolan now is probably 55, 60 years old. He's 18 in his head. Yeah. He's just a blast. Yeah. And I mean, I remember I would ask him questions because we'd drive to Mexico and get that camp ready for building houses. And I just talked to him nonstop about life and like, how do you do life? What do you do in life? Like, I just wanted to, I wanted to learn. I stopped doing bears. I would do enough to just pay the bills. And then I would just go to Mexico and build houses. I mean, they just gave me, I was just, um, like that season of my life, I was loved so much mm-hmm. and had so much grace, was such a weird person. And my mom found out that I was building houses and she told me that I was casting pearls before swine mm-hmm. and that those people, like God put them there without a house for a reason. Wow. And if I kept doing it, then she was going to take all my belongings and put them in trash bags and put them on the porch. So I still was living there. I was never there, but I was still living there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you do that. And I drove back and got all my stuff, put it back in my truck. Not shortly after, my one of my cousins found my brothers, which I hadn't talked to in, well, about 10 something years. And that immediately was like, I want their phone number. I called them and we just talked for hours on the phone. And then he happened to live in El Paso and I drove to El Paso and met him there. And it felt like, it was yesterday. I mean, I walked in the house. My oldest brother was screaming about a computer issue. And I was like, man, nothing's changed. He's like, nope, <laughs> that's no, we're building a computer. And so, it, it, I mean, it, my life just came back together within mm-hmm. six months. And I gained the confidence that what I had believed this whole time was true. And I was just living in an insane world. Mm-hmm. John Marshall, he said, so you asked the question, did... I ever talked to my aunt again. Twice after, the first time, John said, your aunt had asked me if we would go have dinner with them at your house. Do you want to go? I was like, no, I don't want to go back there ever again. He's like, oh, you chicken? <laughs> and I was like, when are we going? <laughs> so, don't challenge uh, me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I'm not chicken. I just, I just hate being there. Yeah. So we went there for dinner. I don't even know if I ate. We went there for dinner and they were sitting around. The, we had like some old booths from like Olive Garden or something. <laughs> that was our seating in our house. <laughs> and they were all sitting down, maybe eating dinner or something. The wood stove was going, so it was warm. I was like warm my butt up because winter. And I was standing. And as soon as I walked in the house, there was an eight foot chalkboard that I had bought at a garage sale that I used to use for mock-ups and designs and stuff. 
And I walked in and there was this really tiny writing and it went for the entire chalkboard, humongous, like school size chalkboard. And I was like, Ugh, I'm not reading that. So I walk in and my aunt goes, that's for you. Read it. That's a message from God. Wow. And I was like, no, it's a message from you. And I'm not going to be reading it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you need to read it. It's from God. No, it's not. It's from you. And she said, you have turned back into the person you used to be. And I, I told her, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I wanted her to know she didn't win. Yeah. Cause that's, she just loves controlling people. Mm. And so then I showed my Marshall kids, the property and what we used to do and where we used to hang out and all this stuff. And so that was the first time I saw her the second time. How um, was dinner with John and I, her? I don't think I ate inside. I think I just oh, walked okay. around. Oh, how was it for him? Yeah. Uh, he said, she, I think is demon possessed. Wow. Because she would talk to him, whatever they're talking about. And then she would go, before you talk, I know what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking. This is what you want to say. And he's just sitting there going, um, lady, I think you have a demonic spirit. Mm. I think you maybe are demon possessed. And everything you're, th- you're saying that I'm thinking is 100% not true. He's like, I just kept my mouth shut. There's no reason to. Yeah. That's to pearls before fool. swine. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm yeah. not going to fight before a fool. This yeah. is insane. Yeah. But man, I can't believe how you dealt with that. I was like, I don't know. Either. <laughs> just my whole life. <laughs> no big deal. I saw her. The second time so I was running the soundboard at church, I was driving to church and I was listening to M88 at the time. And it was like a message from Skip. And it was about repentance and asking forgiveness. And I knew like God was, I want to say telling me, but telling me in different ways that I needed to ask forgiveness. Mm. I needed to repent and I needed to forgive them. And I did not want to do that. I was not fond of that idea. Just the thought of saying it. I'm like, I was mad. I was not repentant. I was pissed. You've ruined so many people's lives. Mm. And so I turned the radio off. (laughs) And I get to church, I was running the soundboard and there was some song about repentance. I was like, oh my gosh. So I quickly grabbed a magazine that was sitting next to the soundboard. It was a Calvary Connection magazine. I flipped through it. Very last page, a word from Chuck Smith about repentance. I was like, oh my gosh. And I broke. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just started bawling my eyes out, sitting at the soundboard in the middle of a sanctuary it was fortunate. It was worship practice. And I just let him know, like, I'm going to leave. You need to find somebody else to do the soundboard. And I just walked out, hmm. drove all the way home. Wow. Good three hours, right? No, no, no. This was oh. in Redoso. Oh, so okay. Okay. So you're close. Drive. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't bad. Drove home, went to my mom's house. They weren't there. Went to my aunt's house. It was my aunt, uncle, mom, and wherever kids were left, everyone's run away. Minus, I think maybe one at the time. And they're like, what are you doing here? I was like, I came here to repent for like my hatred towards you and bitterness towards you. And I also forgive you for what you've done to me. For raising me in a cult, brainwashing me, not saying my name. Yeah, I mean, there's so much weight in that. But I mean, I think especially for listeners, 
You know, there's like little things we say we can't forgive because they looked at us the wrong way or they, you know, and I just think it's so powerful. Yeah, we're triggered (laughs) by a social media comment. For you as an example, and I know that's not what you're trying to do here, you're just sharing your story, but it is so powerful for you to go face them after ruining 12, 13 years of your entire life, not only ruining, but isolating you, making you feel crazy, making you feel small, controlling, overpowering, that is a powerful thing to go and do. And so I just want to commend that, that that does, while it is led by the Holy Spirit, it also takes obedience. It was definitely a forced thing. Yeah. Like, it was it's conviction. It, it was a forced breaking of my will. Yeah. And what Which I, is I, proof I, I of salvation, I think. What was interesting is that, so they were, I think they were doing a Bible study. They're all sitting on a couch and I can remember this scene. And I told them that. And my aunt goes, is that it? Mm. And I said, yeah, it is. And I walked out skipping. Mm-hmm. Nothing dramatic. There was really nothing that happened. That's all that she said to you. Is that it? That's it. Wow. Yep. That made my stomach drop. I just can't even, but you have freedom. Yeah. You weren't doing it to receive something in response from them of like, Oh, we're so sorry. Or, you know, like you were doing it for free to break the chains of that bondage that the unforgiveness created within you. And then you could walk away with freedom no matter how they responded. Maybe so. I don't even know if I had an intent. Yeah. I just knew that this had to be done. I had to do it. And after I did it, I could see why it had to be done. And I just walked out went back to church. What'd you do? I'm like, I just went to my mom's house and asked forgiveness. And what'd they say? Nothing. Like, yeah. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I mean, I guess it's a little surprising when I think about it, but it, it, not at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's the last time I saw her. I have a wife and three kids mm-hmm. and two dogs and a bunny and <laughs> life is pretty normal. I don't feel like it had any impact on me. I don't think it had a negative impact on me for like the long term. Mm-hmm. I'm sure like my life would be different if it wasn't like that, but I'm grateful for like the lessons that I've learned throughout life. And even in that season and through that season, like I don't wish it on anybody, but I mean, I think everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. And so I would say the thing that would be impossible to have gone through that season and made it through to the other end without believing that God is real and that God loves and God sustains and no matter what persecution, what trials you go through, no matter how other people treat you. Mm-hmm. In today's culture, we all want to blame somebody for our current actions. And I can tell you, man, I'm a pretty crappy person and I don't treat my own family. I mean, I'm just thinking about the marshals going, man, I don't, I don't think I show them nearly the amount of gratitude that mm-hmm. they deserve. Not that they saved me, but they pretty much did. Mm-hmm. And to my wife who has to deal with me and my immobility, I can't imagine. And I He's referencing kind of gratitude. back pain that has kind of taken over his life. Yeah. True today, pain. I might be able to be getting something repaired. So oh, we'll good. See. And I just want to say, one, I think it has been incredible to witness. I think the joy in you, which I referenced a little bit back in the beginning, but the joy in you and the eagerness to know and the eagerness to understand people and the eagerness to like you have so much sort up in your head, like so much information, but you're also so willing to hear people out and hear their stories and listen. And you're curious, like you genuinely care about people. And I feel like when you see 
that God works things toward good, truly. And he makes beauty from ashes, not just in a cliche way, but truly, like when you look at the nitty gritty gross things in our lives and we are able to at least choose to see the good or we allow the evidence of God's goodness to seep into those things, I think that's one of those things in you that has been, and maybe that's just who you were from a kid, but I feel like it's something that's within you that was maybe formed or even strengthened during that time that then has built you into this like communicator, this loving person, this person who desires genuine good and genuine relationships with people because that was something that was so lacking. And so just on our end, like Jesse and I see that so much in you that that is something that you have pulled and made good, that you haven't allowed it to ruin you. You haven't allowed it to be something where you're a victim of the circumstances, but you've responded to those circumstances and said, I'm going to grow. I'm not going to be angry at God for what my aunt did to me, which I'm not saying that hasn't been an issue, but you're not a victim. You have responded and you have grown and challenged yourself in that. And I think that is really an incredible example. I would say it's something I strive for and it'll never be completed. I mean, I fail, I would say more often now than I ever have in my life, it feels like. Mm -hmm. And God never promised us an easy life. Mm -hmm. He actually promised us the opposite, Mm -hmm. that it would be hard. Yeah. And he's just prepping us for our lives, for us to be sanctified and to be more fit for the kingdom. And that's not done through being comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's done by going through difficult situations and it, you know, all things work for good to those who love him. Mm -hmm. So it's not that all things are good, but they work for it, but it is a choice. And today's culture is one of like, who can I point out next as being the villain? And I'm like yourself, we are all the biggest villains we've ever known. Mm -hmm. We've got to, give that to God and seek peace and joy and restoration in, in relationships and ask forgiveness when we just suck. And if we lose that, and I was just recently reminded of this of how bad I suck. And I just want to, it's like another one of those situations where like I blew it and God is drawing me close to him when I was just too comfortable and kind of just gave up. Mm-hmm. And I know that that was a point of I'm allowing it to be a point where God can use it as opposed to break me and make me worse. Instead, it's break me and make him greater. Amen. So I just wrote about that today, interestingly enough, on Instagram about with Jesse and I kind of preparing for the move, how we find that we are strongest together when we are uncomfortable. And when we are kind of in trial, because we then lean upon Jesus, my f- computer's going to die, so I'm just checking my power <laughs> source. We lean upon Jesus more. We lean upon one another. We communicate more because we're preparing for the hard. We're, we're, we're kind of facing the trial together or the transitional period. And so we're more aware. We're more vigilant. We are more uncomfortable. And so we act out of that discomfort. But when we're comfortable and when we live in that comfortability, we allow ourselves to get lazy. We get lazy with intentionality, not only with one another, but with Jesus. 
We get lazy with our faith. We get lazy with preparing for the trials that are bound to come in our lives. And then that selfishness and that self-entitlement and laziness as a whole in our lives, which stems from selfishness, just produces a negative result. And it's so bizarre how we strive so hard. Like you said, God never promised us in a comfortable life, but we strive so hard to achieve that. We just want to come out. It's like, yes, this sucks. And I want to come out the other end without having to actually go through it. But just like in your story and your your life, it's like that is the pruning. That is the growth and the transition. And while it is not fun, for us, it ultimately brings the result that we're looking for, which is a pure heart to look, live, be more like Jesus and and to ultimately just be sanctified in the way that we live our lives, to love people better and to love God more. So yeah, I fully agree with you. And I would love, I think our next one, if you'd be up for it, should be a whole one on politics and not politics itself, but like... <laughs> No, but but loving people in this season where it is so easy to hate people and yeah. it's so easy to polarize and it's so easy to just be vile. So think about this is that I would say that a lot of the things that we say are politics or are political. Yeah, they're hard issues. They're real issues yeah. about things that have eternal importance. Yeah. We want to pretend like they're political to polarize but I'm like, man, just think about it. If you really think about the action you're about to take in following in the footsteps of Margaret Sanger, mm. who desperately hated people of color mm-hmm. and wanted to see them exterminated off the face of the planet and to pretend like that's a political issue. When? That has never been a political issue. Mm. I think that is where we go awry. Yeah. That's a heart issue. That's a God issue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be our next topic. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, Matt. Thank you for sharing your story with thousands of people. I'm sure they're going to appreciate it. We're just thankful for you guys. And this is something I kind of draw this from your experience too. Not that you have not had struggles within your faith and your doubts and just as we all have, but I think that it is a very easy thing to blame God. We blame other people. We blame pastors. We blame the church. We blame God. And instead of understanding and believing that God is good, not blindly, but truly doing our study, knowing the heart of God instead of believing what people say of God and who he is, but instead saying, okay, the world is broken. My aunt is broken and has some stuff going on. My mom was broken and not just projecting that onto God's character. I want to caution and just encourage those of you who have struggled with church. Matt and I have both been part of a church that bombed, (laughs) to say the least, and destroyed a lot of people's faith. It was devastating and it's been devastating, but that it is a separation between who Christ is, who Jesus is, who Jesus was on this earth versus who we want to blame and the sin of man and the things that they do that do not represent the heart of Christ and of God and your faith. Like you love the Lord. You're imperfect, just like we all are. You're a sinner, but you see the goodness of God even through your pain. And so I just think that's incredible. So if you all enjoyed this episode, first off, thank you so much for listening to the Behind Closed Doors series. It is so fun for me to talk to people I love and know. If you enjoyed it, please tag at Living Easy with Lindsay. What tags do you want to use, Matt? Do you want to share your social? 
F A S T E R M A T Z. Anywhere is faster map. I'll link him in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you enjoyed this conversation, if you felt encouraged by it, if you thought it was interesting, please do share on social media. Just take a screenshot of the episode on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube, wherever you're listening from, and tag at Faster Matt and at Living Easy with Lindsay. It's always encouraging to hear your feedback and what you guys think of the show. So thank you all so much for being here. We love you, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to share the love. The simple act of taking a screenshot of this episode and tagging the Living Easy podcast makes such a huge difference in my little podcasting world. If you are blessed, challenged, or impacted by this conversation, someone else you know might be too. So please feel free to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. If you haven't already, please take 30 seconds to scroll down from this episode or the podcast homepage on iTunes to give a quick rating and review. This makes a huge difference and helps in getting great guests for future interviews. Don't forget to follow along with me on Instagram for encouragement, devotionals, and practical advice on all the life and faith stuff. Love you guys.